We're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. You heard the intro music, meaning another Oscar race checkpoint. And it is quite the checkpoint we have in store for you today. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host, also Mike. Yeah, so much to do. Six movies to review, including a monstrous film called Eternals. Four Mm. sets of nominations slash shortlist to break down. Three trailers. I can't wait for the trailer section. And then some big box office to discuss. So yeah, no opening banter allowed, Michael. We have to jump right in, I think. So how's your day? No, you're right. Uh, (laughs) Let's get right into it. We'll start with a Make the Case segment. We're going to have two quick movie reviews for Finch and The Guilty. Uh, Mike, you're going to take the lead on these. I have not seen Finch. I have seen The Guilty. Let's start with Finch. Finch, Tom Hanks is Wally and Geppetto (laughs) living during the apocalypse, and he listens to the most classic pop songs and sings them, and he studies American history, and everybody loves him, and we all still do. Uh, He's almost all alone, but instead of Wilson the volleyball, he is the cutest dog ever named Goodyear, and if that's not adorable enough, Hanks also makes his own Pinocchio voice robot, voiced by (laughs) Caleb Landry Jones, Oscar peripheral character actor extraordinaire who he teaches how to walk and talk and drive and be a good doggy daddy how is this movie resistible it's not it 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 literally is something that anybody could put on and enjoy Uh, apple wants to run in this lane and i give them credit they run it very well b b minus a fine wholesome just watch all the way you can't go wrong with finch any kind of legs for awards? No, but it's just one of those movies that, you know, cl- feed the beast, click on it on streaming. Old people will be happy. Young people will be happy. It's just fine and dandy and wonderful. Did you listen to Tom Hanks' interview with Bill Simmons? I did. Bill yeah. Simmons, I, I thought that always was great. Gr- yeah, I thought that was phenomenal, and I highly recommend that as well. Uh, all right, that's Finch. Let's talk about The Guilty. I thought this was overacted. What did, what did you think about? Jim, I Jim loved Chilliwell? it. You did. <laughs> like I don't. I, I agree with you, but like I don't think it's got any awards legs either. Uh, but I was excited for it, and it gave me exactly what I was looking for. But th- that is to say, yeah, it was probably slightly overacted. He is Will Ferrell's character in Old School in the <laughs> locker room. Everybody keep their composure. Kicking locker the whole time. He's a nine one one operator, and he's completely unhinged. Like this is the most unrealistic. <laughs> I hope, I hope, unrealistic, you know, uh, pic- picture of law enforcement ever. Please tell me that. I guess I, I, there's so many different ways I can go with. Like, is it unrealistic? I, I actually, you know, I like you. I hope it's unrealistic. I just don't know how unrealistic it actually is. Oh, and they did have that like sinister underbelly of like, this isn't a great guy. You know, he's got like his big faults and he's kind of on the ropes professionally with good reason. Mm -hmm. So I guess being in that circumstance would probably make you act like Will Ferrell in the locker room in old school at times if you're in a stressful environment. Why a man who has been through what he's been through professionally, they would ever let him answer 911 calls. (laughs) Right. Is beyond me. (laughs) I just think the Danish film was stoic. It was like a time bomb. It took a while to build up to the point where he cracked even a little bit. So Gyllenhaal. Mm -hmm. He made different choices here, <laughs> and I disagree with them. But I'm glad. I'm glad like the story still works, and you know, worked from the original film, so it worked on you. The story, and it, yeah, and it's quick. You know, it's a quick, entertaining. Like it's a little like a, an amuse bouche. Mm. You know, a little one bite, take it in, pleasing to the mouth. You're good. You're done with it. Mouth pleaser. All right. So those are our appetizers for this episode, for our main course movie review here that we'll do also a uh, spoiler section, a little tack on at the end. But right now, non-spoilers for Eternals, uh, directed by Chloe Zhao and starring Gemma Chan, Richard Madden, Brian Tyree Henry, Angelina Jolie, Kumail Nanjiani, Kit Harington, Barry Keegan, Salma Hayek, and many, 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 many more excellent actors, Michael. There's so many pretty people in Hollywood (laughs) that are in this profession. It's absurd. Uh, Yeah, Critical Reception, it's been up and down. It started out strong. It's been pretty much downhill ever since. The Metascore sitting at a 52 right now. That's not great. The Rotten Tomato score is even lower, 47% on 308 reviews. But the audience ratings are pretty high across the board. 
80% on over 5,000 verified audience reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Take that for what it's worth. Uh, maybe more clear is the 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb right nice. now at over 59,000 entries there. Uh, it's got a B cinema score. But the, uh, you know, the, the audience is high. The critics are low on this. Here's the uh, synopsis. The saga of the Eternals. By the way, don't search the Eternals, because this won't be the first movie that comes up for you on IMDb, as I learned. <laughs> saga of the, lowercase t on the, Eternals, a race of immortal beings who lived on Earth and shaped its history and civilizations. That's a misleading synopsis. <laughs> uh, do we really need Marvel theology and Marvel history reimagined? Okay. Okay, there's only so many other places they can go, though, right? Like, it had to get to this point eventually, didn't it? I guess. I, I Here's the thing. My overall take on this movie is, like, this is just a world builder. This is opening up yes. a whole universe of things to, to talk about and to make stories about in the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. But the problem, Mike, Chloe Zhao, her first three films have a microscopic focus as compared to this one. Oh yeah. Which just makes her selection as director here. I, I guess it's intriguing, at least in the premise, because I knew the, the level of scale, but I wanted her to tackle something bigger. But now I'm looking at it and like, why didn't we just like give her a chamber piece Marvel movie or give her like, it doesn't make any sense picking her for this. Give her, go from the outlands of of trailer uh, moving uh, nomads to the universe. All three of her <laughs> films are like in North Dakota, Dakota, where there's like 17 people existing. Yeah, and this and, one's in South Dakota. What's the difference? <laughs> South Dakota, but all the gods are here, and then they're in Mesopotamia. I don't know what's going on. All I know is it, it bothered me at the beginning of Black Widow when they did that kind of montage of American history and mm -hmm. spy game stuff all rewritten, and it bothers me so many, many more times here. Like like all of the big events in human history, it's... It, it, can't be Brian Tyree Henry's fault. Give me a break. <laughs> Stop it. Yeah, like, like that that scene they kind of hoodwinked in there. It is also getting a little bizarre. Mm -hmm. Like how I, I I made this point last time too when we were talking about I don't even remember which Marvel. Oh, uh, the Shang Chi. How are regular humans surprised by anything anymore in this world? Like if a god just shows up, yeah. you can't be shocked. If a god is leering over Central Park <laughs> because he's that mad, like you can't be surprised anymore. It's and everyone's <laughs> always stopping in their tracks and they're just amazed. No, this is if you live in the world where half the universe disappeared and then a couple weeks later just reappeared at the snap of a finger, this is common. I don't want to see any shocked citizens anymore in these movies. It's like, you know, Yogi Bear at Yosemite. Like they're going to see, <laughs> you know, idiots you know, just in the camp setting and just dancing to stupid shit. And they're not going to think anything of it. Like the right. animals don't exactly. think of anything of the bears and exactly. of the humans and the bears don't think anything of the or like vice versa. Pissed off the hardened pigeons you walk by in New York City who are used to humans being a foot away from them. They don't right. give a shit. Like that's what we're dealing with at this point. They don't care. So yeah, the relationship problems in this movie uh, befuddle me throughout. And it's not just like character to character. It's like audience to these demigods who've been living for yeah. thousands of years. Like, again, we know this going in, but like, this is not your friendly neighborhood teenage Spider-Man having girl problems while also fighting bad guys. This is not Steve Rogers, who's a man frozen in time and he's, he's your grandpa, but he's not. Or even like <laughs> Diana Prince, who's, oh, all right, she's alive for an extra 50 years. This yeah. is about immortals who mm -hmm. we're supposed to believe have the emotional maturity of regular people <laughs> after being alive for millennia. It makes zero sense. Yeah, there's a few relationship problems, I agree. One is uh, a familiarity with the characters. I mean, I don't know. You know, everyone knows who Steve Rogers and Spider-Man are. I don't know that anyone knows these characters at all. They didn't do a good enough job of establishing arcs for them like we got in the Garden Guardians of the Galaxy movies where, like, you have a reason to care about them and what they're doing. Another relationship problem, talking mm -hmm. literally about a relationship, is this stuffed-in love story that I guess fits the narrative, but I'd say it kind of barely fits the narrative, and it really, to me, drags some of the pacing of this already overlong film to a halt at some times. Yeah, you, whenever you're telling a story by flashbacks, too, that's that's tough. That's a tough yeah. beat, especially flashbacks that are telegraphed a mile away, which is probably yeah. my biggest frustration with this, Last Night in Soho. If I'm guessing your ending in your first scenes, come on. 
And there's a Superman problem, too. Like, if these are immortal beings and they're all telling and all powerful and they are literally responsible for the creation of, you know, time and space itself, how can they be hurt? Like, there's a relatability problem in that way, too. We can't relate to these things. No. (laughs) You got to come up with these overdrawn, over-emotional contrivances to get them in trouble. I don't understand why they, you know, took such a hard right turn into this direction from the the director who makes us relate to the forgotten of our society in Chloe Zhao, right? I mean, Nomadland is a prime example of that on the reservations of North Dakota. I mean, for Christ's sake, she's brilliant at finding all of these non-actors, rodeo Mm -hmm. uh, riders up there in the Badlands. My goodness, she's, this is her specialty relating to characters and yet you know, as efficient as they get with the backstory, I just can't buy it. I can't suspend my disbelief. Like, Michael, I'm glad some of these characters find some cathartic moments in their 2,000th, 250th year on this planet. <laughs> but I have I have no rationalization for why, you know, they, they had a scene that mattered to them years ago. And we get that flashback scene, right? Mm-hmm. And then for three... Thousands of years, they are dormant, unchanged, yeah. stubborn. Like the radical decision that they make, they're the same. We find them in the same spot, literally thousands of years later. So you can't tell me yeah. that the lessons learned by demigod A or B is the same lesson that Paulie Walnuts learned in season two, episode <laughs> five of The Sopranos. You can't have the same arcs fit the same characters. Uh, in terms of a of a you know A to Z story, whether it's a movie or a TV show, it's just it's such a false yeah. uh, facsimile. Facsimile. There's a, a C and an S in that word. <laughs> facsimile. Facsimile. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. It's it's also it, it it heightens the unintentional comedy, which is not a good thing, because like you said, like they they try to present this as something that's happening one scene to the next, except it's in flashback format. So <laughs> we have a scene like kudos we have the first marvel sex scene ever where two characters yeah. say they love each other and all this and then it cuts to the next scene that's it 175 <laughs> years in the future and they're finally getting married and there's a joke in there somewhere about even a, an immortal man being afraid of commitment and taking 175 years between actions of having sex and then committing to get married but like you're absolutely right this the timeline kind of makes this laughable and that's a red flag in and of itself i cringe through all of the big performance moments of this movie i just cringe through them because every other marvel film you basically have austin powers and basil exposition <laughs> joking us through and, and are you know joking away the obvious objections so that we will just be in a mood to accept the story Right. And and this is something the MCU and Disney and Pixar, they're known for. But I, I, I will say this, even Black Widow, after its over serious intro, it does that. We're laughing our asses off with Florence Pugh and uh, man from Stranger Things. What's his name? I forget. You know, hilarious. <laughs> David <too>. Harbour. <laughs> David Harbour. Thank you. Great speech, by the way, at the SAGs. But like they they make us laugh through all of these wait what what moments. Yeah. Like the wait what moments in the world building here. It's just servicing Marvel's cinematic universing ends instead of like I get great little synopses for all these characters who I want to know more about and who I mean it's efficient storytelling, but it's not enough. You got ten principal characters. 11 if you count Kit Harrington. What are they doing? I think there are aspects to it that are told efficiently, but like look, the storytelling overall, I do want to kind of give Marvel some props just the the audacity they had to do this because the script has taken an absolute beating by pundits and critics and so as always I'll step in and be the harbinger of good news and optimism as is my role. <laughs> I do yes. really, like, seriously tip my cap to Marvel for even attempting something this highbrow and high concept at this point in the MCU, especially, because I think this movie could have been slotted in at any point before Infinity War and probably done mm-hmm. a lot better at the box office for itself. But Marvel mm-hmm. waited to have the movie that explains the creation of time and space in the universe be the jumping off point of its next phase after it had already kind of ushered out all the known superhero names. Like, we're not getting Iron Man or Captain America or even Spider-Man anymore. We got one more Spider-Man movie before he's supposed to be gone and off to do the next thing. So, back to Sony anyway. 
it's not an easy story to tell. It's not easy to introduce all these new characters, and it's not easy to use these as the, like the the base of your next phase either. So that doing that and making that decision, I think, takes a lot of trust in your filmmaker, especially, which obviously Chloe Zhao has more than earned anyway. So I. I think they do deserve some credit for trying something so audacious and, and it takes balls, quite frankly, but like you've kind of said, and, and we're saying here, the, 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 it's too much story and it's not efficiently enough told to kind of get you swept up in it. I, I, I totally agree. And I, and I will jump on the bandwagon of your positivity, which you're <laughs> just, just, just trademark Mike one, by the way. And, and I'll agree with you in this respect. I do, I do want to know more about these characters, and if they spin off any of them, I'm interested. I'm just a little disappointed at how they handled them in this film Agreed. as a composition. Yep. Because you're right, I think this needs, you know, a season of television. This story, or ten seasons yeah. of television. I don't think Battlestar Galactica told as big of a story yeah. in its 80 episodes that Fred Armisen and I binged uh, <laughs> a couple years ago. I, I don't think. I don't think this was enough time to tell the theology of the entire planet and all our world history according to the MCU. And I, again, I get why Kevin Feige and Disney they've decided to make one huge expansion after the next with all of these recent MCU Marvel properties on Disney Plus and in theaters because, look, I mean, they need... How many seasons of television for Disney Plus? Ten yeah. a year, and then five movies a year. You gotta open things up. So, as and, and, and to your point, yeah. I, I don't mean to, to cut you off, but like, there's enough intrigue in each character here where, if any, like, you know, you may love one character and want their backstory, and I may love a different one too. You know what I mean? So there's a yeah. there's a wide variety here. You can well, go it's in representative. A lot of Thank yeah. God, Hallelujah! Oh, and my God, yeah. I mean, we didn't even touch on that. And, and this is a point made, I think, by Owen Gleiberman of Variety in reviewing this that like. The, the representation is presented in such a matter-of-fact way that they don't even mention it that it's just beautiful. Right. So, yeah, it, there, it are, there are obviously highlights to this. It, it works. I, 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 I agree with it. I, we, we've been thrilled by this direction, this new direction of the MCU. Mm. Thank God. About time. I, and I'll say this, too, about the filmmakers. They handled the production values, in my opinion, in an extraordinary way. There's they some stuff the fight here that scenes. I think puts Dune to shame, quite frankly. And Dune's going to be a shoo-in, I think, for, for VFX, at least a nomination. But this looks yeah. just as good. Chloe Zhao, whoop-ass fight scene, mm -hmm. one after another. I loved everything airborne. Mm -hmm. I mean, much like Dune. I thought that was the, the strength of Dune. I wanted more of it. But, like, the wow moments with the aircraft, the wow moments looking at the topography of all of these beautiful settings. And, yeah, you got the VFX blended in very well i thought i mean look i like marvel vfx from other films maybe a little bit more but i will say this like chloe Zhao playing around this bigger in this bigger sandbox she totally belongs oh, and she God, totally yeah. knocked the, those elements of the story out of the park the problem is the elements of the story are just hackneyed together and we don't have enough time to investigate any of them so as much as i love you know a beautiful skyline and a giant demigod <laughs> hovering over it and i'm wowed by that uh, or even like the shots of the cosmos or whatever i i just can't i just can't suspend my disbelief in this story and and, and look i mean I, you know we've been talking about Movie theaters not living up to our expectations in terms of their, you know, tidiness. But I will say, I was back in my AMC Dolby theater, and it was just a feast. Yeah. It was an audio-visual feast that I was really, you know, glad to have. Yeah, same here. I saw it in that BTX at the uh, the Trumbull Theater, and they're, nice. like, enhanced, uh, their, I guess, whatever the LIMAX version of a Dolby is. Uh, and that was... Well, that's a big screen, though. That's one of the biggest screens we have. And it, the, 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 the seats shake. I mean, every you yeah. know, you can feel the vibrations of everything. But yeah, it sounded it was a visual feast. It was an audio feast. I completely agree with you. So look, there's highlights to be had in this. It's a Marvel movie, of course there are. I I don't think it's I don't think it's fair to call it a failure. I don't. I right. think critics are being too harsh on it. I don't think I actually genuinely don't think the positives and the highlights are being mentioned enough. I think people are just kind of piling on at this point, which happens. We talk about it all the time. The pundit parade that goes on. But uh, yeah, Chloe Zhao that definitely belongs. I would love to see what she does next with a big budget as well. And don't forget, when you're doing Marvel movies, just like when you're doing Star Wars movies, when you're doing any of these legendary property movies, you're not really writing the movie. Even though your name might be on the script, 
Yeah. It's not really your movie. I mean, it's it's a it's a committee movie for the most part. It's Disney's movie. It's a big Disney conglomerized right. film to invent a, a word that doesn't exist. But <laughs> look, I, I think I think there were perhaps too many cooks in the kitchen, yeah. and and yeah, we've seen Chloe Zhao be three for three right. before this in terms of storytelling uh, prowess. So this is a melodrama, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So maybe you you like that. Maybe you like all the spectacles and and visuals and large canvas artistry of Chloe Zhao and the MCU. Those goods are delivered, and I agree with you. We've re- reviewed lately, you know, from beloved franchises that MMO does on this show that we've reviewed movies from them that had shit stories, but <laughs> we still liked the films. I'm not and... familiar with what you're referencing, so I don't, I don't follow. Yeah. MMO kills those review episodes because look, I mean, we, we, we've done this throughout our five years here. The story sucks. Everything else is really strong. We can't put a binary thumbs down on it. And that's the problem with rotten tomatoes in general. And that's the problem with, the perception in general. I do think fans of the series, but just fans of uh, you know big time cinema, can still go to Eternals and enjoy themselves. Agreed. Just be ready for kind of an aggravating yeah. story. I would say. I, I think that's fair. Uh, to kind of put a bow on this, we are going to have a small spoiler section it, it, at the end of this episode. It's really just two questions that are eating away at me, and Mike is being nice enough to let me kind of rant for a second. Uh, so <laughs> if you if you've seen the movie, or if you're interested in those, we're going to hold those off until the end of this episode. We can pivot going from talking about what the Eternals had on screen uh, to kind of what it did at the box office next, Mike. Yeah, Eternals won the weekend. More on that in a minute. Hold older, holdovers or hold odors. Either one. Smelly holdovers. <laughs> Dune was in second, seven point eight million. No time to die, uh, which is now transitioning after thirty one days in movie theaters to PVOD. I don't know what to make of that uh, development. I would say from MGM, but that made six million. No time to die. Venom two. Ron's gone wrong. Rounded out the top ten. Michael Spencer. I would say did solid numbers Let, let's put it this way in the 500 theater count mark we were talking about 500,000 for some movies some oscar contenders recently that did you know numbers that everybody was looking down upon well spencer at close to a thousand theaters did 2.1 million the, so four times that amount the performance driven artsy oscar movie is really not drawing a crowd right now I mean, Spencer numbers are okay. The Tammy Faye numbers weren't good. The right. Soho numbers weren't good. It's 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 kind of concerning. But yeah, all right, let's focus on Eternals and what that did uh, numbers-wise. $71 million debut domestically. That'll fall just shy of what Shang-Chi did, $75.3 million. A lot of outlets I saw calling how this was a disappointment for Marvel since it's like Marvel's lowest debut since Ant-Man. Of 50 something million that's fine if you want to say it that way but Eternals overall worldwide did 161.7 million that's good for the second best movie opening for all of the 2021 film year let's not forget again for the billionth time this is still a pandemic an active one that's going on so people aren't yeah. really going back to theaters as much as they were previously Especially uh, in the second biggest market right now, China. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that and matters. We talked about how kind of the film was getting beat up uh, in its critic scores. Audiences seem to be doing well with it. That's kind of your quick look at the box office of what's going on uh, with the big Eternals debut this weekend. We can pivot and talk about some legitimate awards news as it is getting to be almost mid-November now. Uh, let's talk about the 2021 European Film Awards, and they're mm. important. Uh, I mean, we last year talked about another round. They won four big categories at this award show. They went on to have Oscars success, and they even landed that surprise director nomination. Obviously, yep. they also won the international feature category. Uh, years previous, we've had The Favorite, Cold War, The Square, uh, Tony Erdman, all swooped in. They all did well at these award shows. All four were also nominated at the Oscars. Uh, the former two films got heavily nominated. So what do we have for noms for this year, Mike? Yeah, some takeaways. Uh, French Oscar submission to Tan earned four noms for European film, director, actress, and actor there. And I like this show because it just does the big categories, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> so if you get heavily nominated at the EFAs, you're getting heavily nominated for some some big uh, quintessential Oscar awards, big categories there. Uh, last year's Oscar window, 
gives us a couple big names in this year's European Film Awards, which is a bit strange, but mm. typically happens. The Father got four big noms here. Anthony Hopkins, actor, screenplay, director, film. Uh, Quo Vadis Aida, also four big mm. ones. Director, screenplay, actress included. Uh, last year's, uh, I mean, Promising Young Woman, Carrie Mulligan's in here. The Mauritanians, Tahar Rahim, the animated feature, darling of film Twitter, Wolf Walkers. Again, they're all factored in here as well, Mike. That's interesting. And you can kind of, I don't know if that's a, an indictment of how this year's international slate or European slate of films has gone, but otherwise, uh, movies that have landed three noms at this award show. Uh, the Finland selection, Compartment Number Six, that got three noms, film, actress, and actor. The Italian selection for the Oscars, The Hand of God, received three noms as well for film, director, and screenplay. Uh, notable movies that had two noms apiece, the Denmark submission, Flea which is nominated in both documentary and animated feature here. Otherwise, we have Romania's Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn, the greatest name in cinematic history. That landed two noms for director and screenplay. And The Worst Person in the World from Norway got two for screenplay and actress Renate Renzev. My apologies if I mispronounced that. Also, curiously, I'm pretty sure mm -hmm. that entire section of two noms, all those previews are shown before Spencer. <laughs> why was that but I, i'm excited for the worst person in the world getting some more oscar buzz i'm a little dismayed that it didn't get the big category best european film here uh bad luck banging or looney porn could go fuck itself uh as far as i'm concerned i was not a fan of that movie not for the beginning and end the, the end is a, a wonderful i loved it it was hilarious and the middle of that movie sucked i just why do i i just admit it just infuriated me the middle of that film why i it's i wanted to win best picture yeah of course you do it of course you would <laughs> have right, seen it wanted to win best picture <laughs> let's stay across the pond we have the bifas michael the british independent film awards so rocks did well here last year which went on to have a huge moment for itself at the baftas it led uh with five wins at the bifas from 16 nominations saint maude mm -hmm. actually led the field last year with 17 noms but only won two his house won four awards on its 16 noms uh but most telling maybe was the father which did end up winning act screenplay and editing we also had nomadland make an appearance it won best international independent film here last year in 2019 for sama and renee zellweger they built on their beef of wins 2018 we saw 10 wins from the favorite amongst its 13 noms so wow. there's again a, a good correlation a strong correlation a crossover between beef of success and some academy recognition yeah, that's exactly right. And this year's big British beefa bubba <laughs> is Boiling Point, Michael. We have a leading nomination getter here with Boiling Point. 11 nominees. That's one more than Belfast at 10. So a big name Oscar uh, contender this year. Belfast at 10. But Boiling Point's plot premise reads, Enter the relentless pressure of a restaurant kitchen as a head chef wrangles his team on the busiest day of the year. Uh, that head chef is going to be played by Stephen Graham of the Irishman, Boardwalk Empire, Snatch, uh, and Boiling Point. Is you know it's coming out December third, so we don't have to necessarily wait in the U.S. for Boiling Point forever, like we had to wait for you know a couple of those eventual BAFTA nominees mm. from last year. Mike reminds me of the greatest passion project of all time when john favreau parlayed his directing of the mcu's iron man into hey Shit. hey robert can you can you show up and just play this role hey uh i'm gonna write myself as the main character with black widow as my current girlfriend and sophia freaking vergara as my ex -wife. yeah good for you john favreau uh, the, the, the delicious though that movie. oh i love uh, that man charming too absolutely charming great right. watch i i really i really enjoyed that movie but you're right it's like it was almost larry david levels right. of uh yeah, right. of uh, thinking a lot I of mean, oneself. If you could do it, good for you, John. <laughs> Joanna Hawks, The Souvenir Part 2, got nine nominations here at the Big Beefy Bubba Beefas. Uh, it's a film Mike, you reviewed last month at the New York Film Festival. As well as Censor, we included that at this year's Scaries Award Show. That landed itself nine noms. And nine. We're, Mike, you're going to talk about two more films that you want on people's radars. Yes, I do. Uh, After Love has been playing film festivals, uh, virtual film festivals as well. I almost bought it for like $70 and I didn't. And I'm, now I'm regretting it because uh, a big player here at the Bifas, Italian Bifas, mm -hmm. no, uh, <laughs> nine big noms for After Love. Uh, here's the plot premise set in a 
Set in the port town of Dover, Mary Hussein suddenly finds herself a widow following the unexpected death of her husband. A day after the burial, she discovers he has a secret just 21 miles across the English Channel in Calais. And, and Michael, that's one of two big, you know, new names Mm. I want to draw attention to, new films. Uh, Ali and Ava got seven nominations, including... Like all the biggest categories, film, director, actor, actress, screenplay, uh, casting and music as well. Ali and Ava, both lonely for different reasons, meet and sparks fly. Over a lunar month, a deep connection begins to grow uh, despite the legacy of Ava's past relationship and Ali's emotional turmoil at the breakdown of his marriage. Here, Ali and (laughs) Ava stars... Adil Akhtar, who played Kumail Nanjiani's brother in The Big Sick. So, oh, cool. You know, a face that we recognize. He was funny as hell in that movie. Yeah, he was. I'll ask the question everybody's thinking at this point. Are the Beefers just trolling us and just going straight with alliteration for their own enjoyment <laughs> in all these categories? I enjoyed the alliteration. Ali, Ava, Afterlove, yeah. Boiling yeah. Point, Beefa, Bubba. And Beefa having the documentary Cow involved is also fitting. Quite fitting. <laughs> Oh, we also have, as far as some other films that we've previewed, Encounter, that stars Riz Ahmed, Benabil Kunberbu, that's the cat painter story, The Electric Life of Louis Wayne, you've heard us talk about. We're also going to yeah. talk more about Benabil in a little bit. That's now on Amazon Prime. And Hulu's In the Earth from <laughs> one of my arch nemeses in life and in forever, uh, Ben Wheatley. Exalted genius you have here, you. I don't know what a... to think about him. I, he's a hated favorite, nemesis, love, love, uh, uh, you know, just beloved MMO, exalted genius asshole. I don't know. He's we love him, we hate him. I don't know. Ben Wheatley, come on the show, please, and we'll do nothing but suck up to you. Uh, let's transition. We'll talk about the Hollywood Music in Media Awards, which also have a history of a pretty strong crossovers. Last year, four of the five original score Oscar noms first won here at the HMMAs. All five got noms. Uh, the Life Ahead also won twice, and Soul won in animated at the HMMAs. Right. A good track record, but they have an advantage, Michael. Uh, it helps to have HMMA Oscar track records when you have seven yeah. <laughs> Oscar-relevant categories for original score. That's just, you have seven categories for original score that are f- based on feature films, uh, including feature, independent, animated, sci-fi, horror, documentary, and international film categories there. And you have four Oscar-relevant original song categories, again, not including TV, but four for feature films, including feature, independent, animated, and documentary original song categories. Yeah, shotgun blast of, uh, I mean, it's kind of cool. Everyone gets the, a piece of recognition there, and they break it down it's by genre. F- Fun, right? Because yeah. like this is how I want more precursors to go. I right. want them to go this route. Just nominate more cool stuff. You'll get more eyes on it, maybe perhaps. But if we more shows do this, it becomes like this tournament feel, and I get like really excited about the survive and advance aspect of it all. Don't you? I I get excited about that, and I also will get excited about being proven right about Spencer's score as we go and talk about what mm-hmm. happened here at this uh, the HMMA nominations here. But all right, let's talk through some of the biggies. Coda. Featuring Amelia Jones, they got five nominations, including indie film categories of score and song. King Richard got two big noms, including original song Be Alive by Beyonce, which I still say the Academy is crazy if they don't actually just nominate these giant, giant songs that are are Mm. in play this year for original song and try to woo all those performers to take the stage at once. If they're actually worried about ratings, that's an easy way to get eyes on your product in real time. Uh, Original score also uh, from Green Book composer slash piano player Chris Bowers. That's from King Richard. That's a nomination here. Chris Bowers, you may know and remember from his documentary short film last year about his grandpa we talked about a lot a concerto is a conversation so snubbed are we still yeah. mad at that snub yeah that was such Damn. a uh, heart tugged at your heartstrings too Love uh, that movie. it was a great great short film uh no time to die was also a double nom for score and the billy eilish original song hans zimmer received two noms overall for both his work here in bond and the dune music so remember once the great film from Glenn Hansgard. Well, he is double nominated for his work, just ironically, with Eddie Vedder and Flag Day, and then Peter Dinklage and Cyrano. Hmm. So Glenn Hansgard still getting around, deep cut. He's no longer making uh, you know cassette tapes out there in uh, <laughs> in Scotland. He, the dude is uh, is a major Hollywood musical player, and of course, in a cruel twist of fate, <laughs> Diane Warren. 
Diane Warren double nominated once again for her work in immediately Oscar ousted films, Four Good Days <laughs> and The Mustangs, America's Wildest Horses, which I, I guess is a documentary. I thought I knew every documentary, but there we go. But Four Good Days is the the Rotten Tomato Razzie contender from Glenn Close there, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So neither of those will win Oscars now that we know. <laughs> uh, otherwise, let's talk some big names in the song and performance categories. I like these categories uh, at the H at double MAs, uh, even if it's not an original song, you got names like Jennifer Hudson in respect Ariana Grande, which is another big yeah. name. I think don't look up. She does have, in fact, have an original song, you know, Bono singing pop songs and sing too, but Van Morrison, he's got an original one and Kenneth Branagh's Belfast, Eddie Vedder's song again with Glenn Hansgard uh, from Sean Penn's flag day and Brian Wilson, the beach boy, Brian Wilson from his biodoc, Long Promise Road, he's nominated here as well. Other notable names here include previous Oscar noms like John Batiste for his song from the documentary The First Wave and the score from Alexander de Plotz, uh, The French Dispatch. Carter Burwell's The Tragedy of Macbeth is also mentioned and nominated, as is Johnny Greenwood's The Power of the Dog. But Greenwood and his work in both Licorice Pizza and Spencer curious by their absence i don't know i spencer didn't show up anywhere but licorice pizza was nominated elsewhere at the hwmas as a uh, musical supervision so we know licorice pizza i guess was somehow elevated I, like i don't know their uh i don't know their requirements yeah. but yeah he could have had three and a lot of oscar pundits were predicting him to at least get two nominations at this year's oscars i wonder if it's at the end of the day i wonder if it's better for him that it just gets kind of you know honed in on his, his Power of the Dog score. Well, Maybe that's better. If anyone happens to know that Spencer wasn't eligible, don't tell me because I just want to rest on this win for a while. Yeah, you got to win. You kind of <laughs> called that one out. All right, Mike. The Doc NYC shortlist. Uh, I got a couple stats from a great Deadline Hollywood article from Matthew Carey. This means I didn't have to count and, and search Wikipedia for 20 minutes. So thank you, Matthew Carey. Eight of the last nine Best Documentary Feature Oscar winners were first screened at Doc NYC Film Festival, uh, including 39 of the last 45 Oscar nominations and three of the last five wow. Oscar noms from last year. So this 15-film shortlist has quite the crossover, Michael. All right, here's the list. And, uh, Mike, you've been thoroughly researching and keeping up with this category so i don't know why (laughs) probably a list of names that you should have at least heard from us at some point already uh we have flea which lands uh animated documentary and best picture contender from neon of course we have the summer of soul which is quest love's concert doc we have bring your own brigade which is about the california wildfires in the same breath which is about the first 100 days of covid in china and home room which is about american high schools through covid uh mike you've talked about all of these and you weighed in positively on all of these as well previously yeah i think flea and summer of soul are my favorite two of that bunch but yeah all played at sundance this is a sundance heavy list like most documentary lists that we've seen thus far uh i also praised from tribeca roadrunner a film about anthony bourdain uh and uh becoming cousteau nat geo's film that i believe is still out in theaters uh plus also mom She's been mm. given rave reviews to anybody who listen about Nat Geo's other film this season, The Rescue, that it won at TIFF and has been winning some audience awards. Otherwise, I'm not the highest on a film like Ascension, though. Maybe if I rewatched watched it, I, I'd like it more. That was at Tribeca. I'm not a... Uh, anyway, just can't get it. It's going to be my nemesis this season because mm. it was heavily nominated at the last few you know, Critics' Choice Documentary Awards, etc. Uh, and then the 10th film, The Velvet Underground, just nails on a chalkboard audio for some of that, which I just can't forgive. I'm just, I'm a ruthless <laughs> reviewer and I can't forgive audio issues, even though it was deliberate, but yeah. Apple's the Velvet Underground. People love it out there, so I'm in the minority. You do have your threshold as far as loud screaming noises go and what you're able to, uh, <laughs> to concentrate on and take in a movie. All right, let's talk about the last five films that made this shortlist. The first four of those, Attica, Procession, Fayadayi. Uh, yeah, I hope I'm yeah. saying that right. And introducing Selma Blair. So, yeah, I'll be reviewing these next four in the coming weeks. Introducing Selma Blair is next up on my IDA screenings list there, Michael. But I did see the 15th film on this list. It's Julia, about celebrity chef 
uh, extraordinaire Julia Child, played by Meryl Streep, Streep and Julia and Julia there, opposite Amy Adams. But let me just say, this documentary Julia was delicious. Uh, <laughs> my God, the food goods delivered here. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed learning about her life, of course. Uh, and yeah, we, we celebrate that film and, and, and watch a you know, female pioneer in that business and changing how America eats. So that was that was a lot a lot of fun to watch that one. And you also just wanted to shout out not on this uh, NYC doc list, but you saw President, which was a doc about the 2018 presidential elections in Zimbabwe. And you wanted to give it a special shout out. I love this movie. Good. I missed it at Sundance. It's one of those rousing political campaign docs, Mike. Uh, that gives you this adrenaline rush in Act One, and then the rest of it's like this sobering, just look at corruption, political corruption, and just a macro level government moves, all seen through this unprecedented level of access on the ground, filming this presidential campaign like we've never, at least I've never seen before, uh, and I, I just I can't get over. You know how they all cooperated with this filmmaking crew, and the the level of journalism achieved. Never mind cinema by president. So I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan of my name is Paulie Murray on Amazon Prime. Also from Julie Cohen and Betsy West. Quick shout out to that one as well. People have to you know learn about Paulie Murray, American hero, uh, from you know hopping the rail cars of train yards as a kid, pretending to be a boy. Uh, to you know, graduating law schools as the first black entrant at UNC, woman entrant at UNC, the first Episcopal minister, wow. black woman, uh, just changing the game. Never mind the fact that Paulie was uh, a a novelist, a best selling novelist, and and perhaps you know just one of the underrated. American heroes going hmm. and uh, I give Julie Cohen and Betsy West credit for two films uh, in this episode. And yeah, I mean, snubs from this documentary shortlist. Uh, I, I, I'm very unfortunate that they're not there. Your obsession with the documentary feature category this year, I think is going yeah. to, and, and, and thus by way of also newfound <laughs> respect for the documentary medium in general, I think this is going to naturally manifest destiny itself into you, Jane Goodalling me for a period of time, and just like keeping a camera on me and, and talking over, doing a voiceover as I like just sit in my basement picking my beard, looking at like movie and sports stats. It's, it is if it makes a, a good feature film, <laughs> it won't. Uh, no, <laughs> it will not. I mean, maybe with because of your talent, it will, but no, <laughs> the content yeah. will not be. <laughs> MMO is going to pivot eventually <laughs> to uh, YouTube documentary features, uh, and that will be my first choice. As he reaches you. for his fourth ringding of the day. <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll, I will shoot it in a close-up, uh, and you will be hungry after watching it, folks. Let's talk about some trailers that we had debuted for the first time uh, and some of the second looks as well. We'll start with the first look at Swan Song. Uh, look, someone's got to upset the Oscars race from this movie. And you, mm -hmm. you don't have Glenn Close, world-renowned actor Mahershala Ali, and award-winning actor Mahershala Ali all in the same movie with that piano-laden score behind it and not have an Oscar contender on your hands. In theory, and I and mostly in practice. I, look, I'll say this: I'm a little surprised we don't have any have any buzz for this movie. Yeah, really, I'm worried going about in. that. Like, this is the unforgivable led of, level of Oscar, not just Oscar grabby, but Oscar tackling and piloting. <laughs> I mean, this is this is going for it. Mm -hmm. And like you said. The name recognition, not just those three, but Aquafina, who has this snub sway power yeah. after two years ago, I would say. And yeah, Swan Song looks the part, at least in trailer form, of a contender. I don't know why it hasn't played anywhere until a AFI this week. So we're gonna we're gonna hear some first reactions, and we'll be able to weigh in later uh, about Swan Song. But yeah, you kind of. Uh, You've been on this movie for a while, at least in plot premise -y. 
you know, snapshot form there. Mike. Yeah. And now am I predicting all of this because I'm pretty sure I had this movie slated for something from my 100% accurate way to early Oscars prediction show? I, I don't see how that's relevant. Let's move on. Yeah, well, let's. Uh, you did, and your entire reputation is now at stake over this clone cancer cry fest. And no, I. We'll see. It'd be it'd be wild if you picked it. It'd be wild if like Glenn Close just went under the radar for her first Oscar win. That would be. It, it, there'd be something poetic about that. But in, it's, it's all seriousness. Did this trailer grab you? Mahershal is selling it. Yeah. He is selling it. He's got huge scenes with big, goofy mm-hmm. dialogue, and he's still selling it. Yeah, I- I'm in. Same. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in for checking it out, uh, and I am bracing for it. But <laughs> it might work. Like it could be seven. It could be Will Smith in like several of his movies. Scary. Like I mean, think Seven Pounds. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine think- it's not watchable though. You know, right? Like I'm. I'm, Apple, I'm at least Apple, expecting entertaining. Apple's got that brand going for yeah. it right now. But okay, going from that trailer to... I'll be honest, Mike. I think the Net, Netflix PR team returns to form, in my opinion, with one of the very best trailers of the year with this second wow. look at the power of the dog. We got more clarity on the dynamics of the story. We feature Johnny Greenwood's score that's going to be mm-hmm. up for Oscars. We feature some of the money shots from Ari Wegner's cinematography sure. that should contend. Uh, and I, I just love this trailer overall. What did you think? I was interested by what it was presenting. Like, we know Benerboo Cumberdill and mm-hmm. Kirsten Dunst mm-hmm. have gotten the majority of the awards poll. Yep. Is there a chance that I know people have seen Power of the Dog already, seen some screenings, but is there a chance we're being told by Netflix that they want Cody Smith McPhee in the running too? Because yeah. for the supporting category anyway, because he's featured heavily and prominently as like a main character in this trailer, which he was not given much screen time at all in the first trailer. Um, that was my well, first he, thought. He is in like a battle royale of like thirty guys right now in supporting. Sure, actors. yeah, so, supporting wide open, wide, wide, wide open. open. But I have heard his name a lot, and I did see his name. We mentioned it two episodes ago, the last ORC, where he was factoring in amongst the Gold Derby pundits, and and his name is there. I would just say, you know, I I wonder how that performance gets received, because it's kind of standoffish until, you know, you're, you're... you, I mean, you really have to study it where he's, you know, he, he's subtle. He's a great actor. Talk about another kid who grew up in front of right. us, a great child actor. We don't get many of those or we don't always get great child actors because they're new and they're young and they're chi- children yeah. and wh- why do we expect them to be able to fit <laughs> but he was able to do that as a very young child in this business and so it's it's awesome to see him crushing it here and the other thought i, I agree with all of that the other thought i had was i mean i think we can put to bed there's no question who definitively is the antagonist in this movie and that man's name is bladderball cucumberville I mean, he's he's the bad guy, clearly, right? Yeah, yeah. I I, I reviewed the film already with Andrew. I uh, I hope he could come back for our review of a review of it eventually, early December there. And yeah, well, this is going to be a movie like Andrew said. It's it's really it's really a, a talk talker. I like we're going to want to talk about it. Like it's it's going to induce I'm a lot of conversation from us. So. I'm excited for it. I forgot you guys it, already it, reviewed that. Yeah, no, you'll totally be. Uh, uh, underwhelmed by the strangeness of it because <laughs> it's good it's good. a weird it's a weird freaking movie i, I need Jane something Campion. i need something to kind of you know i need a, a favorite that everybody fawns over and is in love with that i hate and i haven't gotten that yet you haven't gotten that yet except for dune. all of the other movies this dune, year i guess yeah dune <laughs> you just feed you feed on this you get off on this, this i really point. like in all seriousness i know i've become this character i don't mean to i want to like everything that everyone likes I try to. You drink the tears of film Twitter. <laughs> I don't want to be this person. I'm you like Beast from up. Beauty and the Beast. I'm this self-loathing monster. <laughs> Hidden away in the shadows in my own chamber. Speaking of <laughs> monsters, uh, potential monsters. Jared House Leto, everybody. <laughs> Jared Leto in that bald cap. No, I, I really, again, I think the makeup works, but we'll, we shall see. Michael, House of Gucci, House of Gaudy. Oh, my God, this trailer, too. You got to give Lady Gaga this. 
she is not afraid of just diving right into the deep end and trying to swim. Like Bradley Cooper, yeah, give him to me. Adam Driver, <laughs> no sweat. You want to put me in a scene with Al Pacino? I'm in. I'll, I'll go tete-a-tete with all of them. Do you think she considers herself a particularly ethical person in this movie, though? <laughs> I, I love this trailer as well. It's a great trailer. I, I, it really is a great trailer. They're going for broke. And Gaga, I mean, she's Gerard Butler in 300, Vin Diesel and Fast Saga, any <laughs> Bond in any tuxedo level of action movie, comeback, retort, geniusness i mean every time you say mike from now on i'm gonna be i'm gonna be you know show you my ring finger and say our name's sweetie i'm gonna gonna do that because that's what's gonna happen for the rest of this year and this movie's going for broke every performance is a 21 on a 10 scale it's the most italian stereotype thing yesterday it's uh or yet uh it's the most 80s music the, you know, stereotype. I had I had that, that song we've ever seen the whole day yesterday after watching. I trailer. had to rewatch. I had to rewatch the music video before we hit record yeah. of Annie Le- and Lennox and the Arrhythmics. And my God, they're on a farm. There's a cow hovering over the man typing on some contraption there, but he's also typing because I believe he's the piano player. Little known fact is that the Power of the Dog movie is actually based on that music video. <laughs> based on the music video for the Eurythmics. Uh The movie is like that guy who walked across the trade towers on a tightrope, Mike. House of Gucci is like the play Red, White, and Blaine from Waiting for Guffman or Hamlet 2 from Hamlet 2. Uh, it's every Baz Luhrmann or James Cameron film. It's every Celine Dion or Barbara Streisand song, baby. This is either going to be cinematic or audio brilliance or the train wreck of epic proportions level gaudy nonsense huge failure to there, there is such a thing as too big to fail you just you know you put out the the odds for somebody saying that a big movie they've seen and can't talk about yet is actually awful and they can't wait to yeah. talk about it and you yeah. had odds for house of gucci involved in there i i wonder this is a boomer bust if we ever seen one I echo every sentiment you have. I would also add that just on a personal level, I think it's the movie I'm now most excited for because of that possibility. It could fall on its face (laughs) so hard. Or it could just be a delight. Like we've never, like just so much movie. Just give me it all. Yeah. I can't wait. I really can't wait to see House of Gucci. It took, it took, I went down a mini rabbit hole with Gucci last night online and I, I tweeted this as well and I didn't realize it. But the uh, the man who started Gucci, his name was Guccino Gucci. <laughs> I mean, give me the biopic on that guy to next. Right. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, I, out of reverence for this movie-going experience, I am not listening to the audiobook. I'll tell you that much. I'm going to listen to the audiobook afterwards. I bought it months ago. I've and, tried yeah. so hard to resist watching like stuff about what this is about. Don't do it. I we got to see through the eyes of Jared Leto behind all the prosthetics, through the eyes of Lady Gaga. We should also the- go to this movie after having grown mustaches in a button-up shirt with the top three buttons unbuttoned so our chest hair is poking out. <laughs> There's no other way. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have Oscar profiles coming up on Major Contenders, The Power of the Dog. Mike already told you about that. Licorice Pizza, I'm excited for. I can't wait to see House of Gucci. Uh, big surprise there. King Richard, Belfast, Clifford the Big Red Dog. One of these things is not like the other, but this is the episode you're getting from us, so stay tuned for those review episodes coming out this month from us. It's going to be a busy November. We kind of hyped for the last six months how busy October, November, and December is going to be for us here at MMO, so stay tuned for all your Oscars needs. All right, uh, we alluded to this. We're going to have a small spoiler section for the Eternals here, so uh, if, if otherwise, if you don't want to hear this, this is where we will leave you. Uh, we, right. we thank you for your time. You can hit us up, as always, on our social medias, at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram, at MM and Oscar on the Twitter section. If you would love to give us a five-star review, we would love you to do that. We cannot thank you enough. Uh, thank you. Let's talk about some spoilers for the Eternals. Mm-hmm. I have two questions after this movie that are eating away at me. <laughs> and I don't know how you want... Like, I didn't know what you wanted me to do with these, but this is... I appreciate you letting me air this out. No, you got to do this. You got you to go for it. What's number one? So number one is the serious one. Mm-hmm. Did anyone else feel like the Icarus heel turn took away from Cersei being written as a strong female leader of the Eternals group? 
Yeah, you got good points here. Because wouldn't it have been a more emboldening and impactful transfer of leadership, so to speak, if he just stayed and insisted he'd follow Cersei's lead because she was the chosen leader? Because yeah. Marvel has yeah. yet, with all the powerful women Marvel has introduced us to, they've, he, they've yet to give us a group of heroes led by a female from the jump. I mean, Captain Marvel was a solo act. Black Widow started as Iron Man's receptionist, essentially. Letitia Wright served under T'Challa. All of the most powerful women in the MCU have been introduced thus far either as solo acts or have had to rise to leadership after the say-so or some action of the man who brought them into the MCU in the first place. Yeah, it's it's aggravating and unfortunate. And Chloe Zhao is leading this film. Uh, look, to, to their credit, I mean, Salma Hayek led the Eternals. Yep, good point. She's put in charge by the Celestial God thingy. And you're right. I think the Richard Madden, Gemma Chan kind of leadership transfer there is clunky. And the fact that, you know, yes, on the one hand, he gives her something to oppose. So I think there's... I think there's kind of but it was unnecessary you know, right? mechanics to do that. I, I think I, to your point, I think there's a better way to kind of just make female-led superhero groups more common, like, like they should be. <laughs> Put superhero groups in common in the same sections and sentence. But <laughs> for Christ's sake, we're getting so many of these films. This needs to be something that happens more, which I hope Black Panther. Uh, follow suit i mean it's just it's quite simple and you're absolutely right it, it, they're so addicted to these villain switcheroonies that yeah. i think they kind of overthink themselves in this one and i was hoping that it was just the obvious misdirect like once richard I, madden started here. to say like once he started to be dickish and there was another dickish character who was even more dickish. I was like, all right, Barry Keegan is going to turn out to be good. And Richard Madden, Madden's going to turn out to be bad. Because we have two dicks in the punch mm-hmm. bowl. One of them's going to be. Right. Yeah. Two dicks in the punch bowl. That classic scenario we've all. The classic scenario of two dicks in the punch bowl. One of them's going to fuck up the, the punch. But you have this hanging over the entire movie is that Cersei needs to become the leader but she's the de facto leader because the actual leader that everybody really looked up to, the Captain America of this group, ended up being the one who killed Ajax. And never mind the fact that that is a ridiculous heel turn by uh, by Icarus because he heel turns his heel turn in the very next scene. Like he turns bad and then he turns good in the next scene right after turning bad, proving himself to be both a hypocrite and completely nonsensical before by the way, the biggest MCU dad joke in the history of the MCU, where they send Icarus flowing, flying too close to the sun to end things. Into the sun. H- yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. I laughed out Hilarious. loud. Hilarious. No, he's too hot to be mad at him for too long. I agree. Uh, MCU. No, this is this is silly. It's just, it didn't work. And then what made makes matters even worse for us is that this has the same problem as the Suicide Squad, Mike, where I think... You know, the Suicide Squad would have been an even a higher grade from us this year if the main, you know, climax of the film didn't involve one character just using their powers. Like, why do we spend yeah. 2,500 years of flashback slash, you know, story here with Gemma Chan's character if she merely, you know, connects to the Wi-Fi hotspot <laughs> and then right. uses her powers once right. at the end? that she didn't learn like what did she learn like she just she's in the mind thingy and uses her powers and her powers worked great that you're bordering on like okay so my serious question was we should have just had richard madden being subservient to cersei and just you know following her lead the more ridiculous question i have goes with this unimind thing at heart too because Here's the question. Does anybody actually give a shit about anything in this world? Does any character have any single ounce of conviction in their beliefs at all? It's just such a contradiction to itself. (laughs) Because they will literally spend thousands of years after cathartic flashbacks staying the same. And then they'll have another cathartic scene. A crisis of faith. And they'll totally switcheroo on it. And it doesn't make any sense. Like the uh, like, does Kit Harrington? I mean, his he's a terrific boyfriend. He goes over the top and shows us that he's a terrific boyfriend. So therefore, it must mean he's also going to be a superhero in the movie. Like uh, Harry Styles is in the movie, so of oh course he's Thanos's 
brother? Like, why does anything happen in here? Why? Thanos is big, jacked-up purple mutant, and his brother is a One Direction member. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Without an ounce of makeup. I, like, I understand like it's, you if have it's Harry in the con- Styles. Don't tell me it's okay because it's in the comics. Right. We don't read the comics. Right. We probably should, and maybe we'd be, you know... At least make maybe them we'd purple! Be <laughs> At least make them purple. I agree. But, like, as far as conviction in this movie specifically, we already talked, Icarus abandons the team in order to fight on behalf of God and then decides, for no reason, eh, guess not, (laughs) and I'll go back and help Cersei. Sprite is a traitor and is instantly forgiven and accepted by the team, immediately, all because Kingo says, with zero proof or evidence, that, oh yeah, Sprite loves Icarus. Speaking of Kingo, he just dips, hey y'all, I think you're wrong, I'm out, deuces. And then, at the end, he's just welcome back into the fray, helping human Sprite go to school before the movie's over. Druig has his utopia, and it's working perfectly. The dude has a deviant pinned down with a small militia firing at him at will in uniform, and he just stops because Cersei walks up to him and is like, Hey, hey you, come on, man. Hey, (laughs) come on. Well, people were getting hurt, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. Like it makes it, it, it makes frustrating levels of sense. If this was a sitcom on NBC in the two thousands, <laughs> like to literally have the will they won't they romances involved between like Druig and or whatever Barry Keegan and Fast Girl, yeah. Like, are you kidding me? They're still doing the will they won't they after twenty five hundred years? Seriously. What a movie. <laughs> what a movie. Uh, I, I I mean, look, I mean, what did you think about the Celestials, though? Like the big God thingy there. So God in this movie creates these Eternals. Yeah. His sole reason for existence is universe expansion via global eruption, right? That's his purpose. That's what his goal in life is. And these Eternals right. are going to help him. His creations turn on him mm-hmm. and he basically just says hey all right <laughs> and that's it <laughs> well he grabs him and brings him back to the toy shop great which is probably what kevin feige's gonna <laughs> he's do with like the i'll spare line. them i'll spare them yeah. because you were assholes and deceived me that's it no yeah. consequence no punishment like there's no follow-up sentence there nobody in this universe actually gives a shit about anything is my point i guess it's too big. It got too big and it failed. But like I don't know, maybe brother of Thanos, Harry Styles or Patton Oztroll will save them because yeah, he did, you know, grab them and took them away, whisked them away. Uh, I I just haven't been dismayed by Marvel storytelling like this in a long while, Michael. I mean, we did have our issues with many MCU films throughout, you know, but more or less we we loved the way they were going with things, but we did have some issues back in our in our our rewatch with several films. But this feels like one of those. It feels like one of the movies we highly disagreed with, and they went in the wrong direction with the storytelling technique of it because it's Deus Ex Machinas, Machinas. It's oh by the ways. It's wait what moments of just go along with us, but you don't <laughs> make us laugh enough to, or you don't. I don't know. You don't make us laugh enough to kind of argue it away or just kind of say, all right, we're in no matter what you say. You could tell me anything right now. <laughs> Harry Styles, brother of Josh yeah. Brolin, fine. Yeah. <laughs> fine. Good. <laughs> sure. I don't. I, I, I'm curious as to what comes next in the, uh, the MCU. I, I, don't, I don't want the Harry Styles face. <laughs> I don't want face boy band. Boy, I, but he, you know, I like Harry Styles as an actor. He did a good job at Dunkirk I, I as a, as a supporting player. Yeah, but let him play, let him play somebody in the Golden, uh, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy people yeah, group, which right. I think he's somehow connected to, which is maybe why he's not purple. But just I don't know. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> I had another question, but I can't remember it now. Uh, yeah, 
Anyway. It's, irre- it's erroneous. It's erroneous on all accounts. <laughs> there you go. Uh, just as a review, uh, if you would like to uh, leave us any of your comments, questions, or concerns, you can do so on our social media as Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Explain this shit yes, to us, Yes, please. Explain thoroughly what happened in the Eternals. Uh, Mike, Mike, and Oscar, Facebook and Instagram, at Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. Uh, if you're listening to us on the Apple Podcast app, if you leave us a five-star review, that'd be cool. Michael, tell the good people what's coming next. And what are some words of wisdom to end on? So Oscar, juggernaut, certainty, Clifford the Big Red Dog <laughs> with a special guest. We've been preaching this for and roping her into this. I told Just her if like, she has any information on Clifford's origin story to let us know about it ahead of time so we can look at it. <laughs> we can prepare our defense. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. We'll be recording that theoretically on friday uh early next week we'll be reviewing belfast and then later next week i don't know if we'll have an oscar race checkpoint in there but we'll have king richard uh so yeah it's just one big huge oscar contender after the uh, the next starting with the big red dog uh and (laughs) words of wisdom look i i can't say it any better than annie lennox i uh, some of them want to use you some of them want to get used by you some of them want to abuse you and some of them want to be abused which i think they're going to all four of those things are going to happen to us while we're watching uh, House of Gucci. All four of those things happen to us, I think, while we watch Eternals. We got a whole lot of movie in, in Eternals, a whole lot of movie in House of Gucci coming, and all of these movies. At least we're getting just huge cinema yeah. in our face, one thing after the other. We're, we're grateful that the box office is somewhat recovering. We're just, yeah, clean up these theaters, but... <laughs> A lot of movie, a lot of movie, a lot of, lot of Oscar race checkpointing in here as well, Mike. We are fully in the throes of it on our way to Oscar Sunday once again this year. Flew by. <laughs> I don't know how or why. Close. I don't know how it got to be mid-November already. But, uh, yeah, guys, when reality sucks or your concept of time sucks, you can come keep on the road to the Oscars with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See you. See you.